Hello, I'm Alan Owen. Welcome to the Reach Australia podcast. The vision of Reach Australia is to see thousands of healthy, evangelistic, multiplying churches across Australia. And this podcast was one of the mobilized electives from our large Reach Australia conference, where James Galea, Katie Anise, and Scott Curtis took us through what it meant to mobilize people. Uh, my church is smack bang in the middle of that category, and we got a lot out of thinking how ministry uh, is the fruit of connecting and integrating well. I had to make sure we also coach people well as they step into these roles and make sure they're landing in a team that has a healthy team culture. We got tons out of it, and I'm sure you will too. So enjoy. All right. Uh, The purpose of this uh, plenary session is to get specific of what does mobilizing uh, and equipping God's people, what does it look like in the church size and stage that you're at? So particularly 120 to about 250 in your church, in your congregation. And we're sort of presuming that you're here, uh, well, three reasons. One is that's not the size of your church, but you, uh, by God's grace, are wanting to get there. And so you're preparing for that season. Uh, You may be in that, uh, we're presuming a lot of people are in that stage uh, where this is your church, uh, or... Thirdly, you've just wandered into the auditorium, and you don't know why you're here, but we're glad to have you here. Um, Just acknowledging a couple of assumptions uh, before we get started. We're assuming that you love the Lord Jesus, that you believe in the power of the Spirit that has given each member of your church a a gift. Uh, We're presuming you love the local church, but it does exhaust you, Uh, that you believe in equipping the power of saints, but you probably, if anything like me, feel a bit of guilt Uh, that you're not doing it as much as you should be, but you want to, your heart's in it. Uh, Your church, maybe about one, two services, a couple of paid staff, uh, but it is getting to a stage where you're not knowing each other, you don't know each other as much as you used to, uh, and there's tension and maybe miscommunication brewing. You've put some systems in, but there may be some cracks, there's confusion. Uh, You believe in training, you want people to lead and lead teams, uh, but they didn't teach that in college, so try to work it out. And the last assumption is that you believe that you want to learn with others, that we're better together for it, and that's why I love this conference, is because it is that, as we learn from one another in other church contexts, in other states uh, coming together. So that's kind of an assumption. But also another big assumption is there's probably some challenges uh, some obstacles that you're facing and how do we mobilize the saints uh, in our church context for this size. Uh, what we're going to do is I'm going to, we're going to introduce ourselves uh, and talk a bit about our context and then also a challenge uh, or something we find hard, particularly in this space of mobilizing the saints. Uh, and then I'm going to get you to talk to the person next to you, what's the one thing that you find hard in your church? Does that make sense? So, Scott, we'll start with you. Do you want to introduce yourself and yeah. what's the challenge you find? <clears throat> yeah, so I'm up at Hunter Bible Church in Newey and Lake Mac, which is about an hour north of here. Um, <clears throat> and where, so my role there is to oversee the serve others kind of area across the whole of church. But then I also have a role um, overseeing our latest kind of campus plant, which is five years old now. Um, and we started with 80 people five years ago, and by God's grace, it's about 190, 200 now. Um, so they're the kind of two hats that I wear up at HPC. Challenges for me, there's many. Um, 
but in, in this kind of space of the serve area, my, my kind of personality, I'm very relational, organic kind of person, uh, and I've had to learn the value of systems and structures um, that can complement our ministry. They still fatigue me a little bit, um, and I'm going to talk a little bit about leadership development, talk a lot about structure in that, but it's not my, my fun spot. Yeah. Katie? Hi, um, I'm Katie. Um, I work at a church in um, Adelaide called Trinity Church Kernelite Gardens. Um, I have a couple of roles there. Um, one of them is I lead our Serve Others area. Um, and the other thing I do is lead our kids' ministry. So it's kind of a combination. There's quite a bit of overlap, but, um, yeah, it's a great joy to do both of those. Um, challenges for me in the serve area, I think I have a fairly apologetic kind of personality. Um, so I don't naturally find it easy to ask people to do things. Um, so I find that when I'm recruiting or trying to build teams... I used to, and I've gotten better at this, but I used to start off with, oh, you probably can't do this, and I'm really sorry to ask, but I'd love you to lead a team, um, which is not an ideal way to embrace or go into those conversations. Um, and I think that there's been some great, some great things about the way that we've thought about ministry in the last few years that have helped me kind of grow in that. And I'll talk about that a little bit as I talk about teams in our churches. Beautiful. Um, yeah, so James, my name, and at the Bridge Church, uh, and I, uh, the way in which uh, our church is in terms essentially we want uh, our gatherings no more to be than 150. Um, that's we're intentional about uh, small gatherings. And so that's, uh, so in terms of this space uh, is what we do each, is w- each week. Uh, and so I look after 10 o'clock and 5 o'clock, 10 a bit bigger, 5 is a bit smaller. Um, but I love it. And the thing that for me is I get excited and overwhelmed in this space. I get excited because, I don't know, for me, it's nothing better. I don't know about you, but seeing someone join a ministry and just flourish in it. And they love it. And they're just, and it's a, an infectious joy in seeing them serve the Lord. I, I just love that. But I also get overwhelmed by it because Sunday is coming. And, you know, you're probably feeling this already. You know, Sunday is getting a, a bit closer than it was yesterday. And you know there's things you just got to do, that sermon, that, that putting it together, yada, yada, yada. And so for me, I get overwhelmed because there's the instant demand of a Sunday and trying to be intentional about planning and thinking beyond that. So that's sort of a bit of me. I don't know, I don't know if you resonate with that. Um, what we're going to do now is I want you to talk to the person next to you and ask them, what's something that you find a challenge? Uh, what is a, an issue, maybe one that's reoccurring, that you find that you're experiencing uh, when it comes to equipping the saints for service in your church. So we're going to give you a couple of minutes. Talk to the person next to you. Go. All right. Hopefully the juices are flowing. And uh, hopefully, God willing, some of those things that you've just uh, raised will be addressed in the next uh, little while. How we're going to work uh, 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 in terms of structure uh, on this thing is I'll kick us off by looking at how do we get people to serve uh, so into that recruiting space. Uh, and then again, hand it over to Katie. Katie's looking at building a culture of teams. Uh, so they started serving. What does a culture of teams look like? And then another layer on top of that, uh, which Scott's going to look at, is developing leaders. So getting people on board, sort of recruiting, uh, building a culture of teams, and then developing the leaders. And in between those 
sections sandwiched in between there'll be opportunity for one or two uh, questions uh, and then that you might have sort of to clarify things or, or flesh things out and then at the end uh, we'll do a Q&A based on what time we have left. Sounds good? Let's buckle up. Let's go. All right. Uh, I'm going to in, uh, take you back to a moment uh, in your church life, which I presume you do, and in fact, I think it unifies all churches, even if theologically they're opposed. It unites the Catholics, the Orthodox, the Protestants. Something we all have in common is this, the working bee. We all have the working bee, right? So I want you to remember the working bee, right? I presume your working bees happened something like this. You started, and there was a group of people there, not as many as you'd like, but there was a group of people there, and what you do is you highlight all the things that need to happen. The windows need to be washed, uh, the lawn needs to be mowed, uh, that cupboard needs to be cleansed and cleaned and, and sorted, a whole bunch of things. And people put up their hands, yep, I'll do that, yep, you can do that, yeah, you guys can do that, yep, tick, tick, tick. Everyone's aboard, and they go. But what inevitably will happen is an hour or so later, some more people will come, right? And chances are they may do one of the following. They'll see everyone busy doing their things, and one person might come and have a look and try and work out how do I fit in, how do I get started, and see someone washing a window, and so they just pick up a Kleenex and start cleaning. Someone else might come and they think, well, everyone seems busy, all the places are being filled, so I'm probably not needed and just leave. Another one will see that everyone's busy, not do anything, not say anything, but hang around for the three hours until the working bee's finished, but not actually do anything. And then a fourth person will come and look, everyone's busy, and on their own initiative, go and do something different. They get out the green paint and paint the room, and everyone's thinking, why are you doing that? They think, because I think it's a need, right? And, and it creates a headache. That is a metaphor was probably what's happening in our churches, right? A church plant is like the beginning of a working bee. Everyone's on board, we know the needs, we know the issues, everyone's mobilized, done. But inevitably, God willing, people will join your church. More people will come. And so, a church that is more than a year old, which I presume most of your churches, people are trying to come and work out one thing. What's my part in this church family? How do I get involved? How do I begin to serve? How do I know where I fit in? And there will be people who come to your church and they will just naturally say, well, these people are welcoming, these people are cooking and slot right in, right? But there'll be some who will look at your church family, they'll experience it for a couple of weeks and think, I'm actually probably not needed. I'm not needed and they'll leave. Others will come and they'll think, well, things are happening but to be honest, they're not really going to take the initiative. No one's going to talk to them and ask them. And so they just sit in the pew each week for years and not do anything. And others will create new ministries on their own accord that create a whole bunch of admin and headaches and drama. And it frustrates you, right? What may have worked when your church was smaller, you're finding now it's not working because of one thing, people don't know each other as well they did. They're sort of getting bigger to the size that, you know, we don't all know 
who Jennifer is, who Roger is, is getting bigger. And so what you're sort of potentially finding is you need a clearer system, a clearer process, a communication pathway so that people who are joining your church know, how do I get involved? How do I be part of this church family? Uh, how am I... I know that I'm part of the body of Christ, but what's my part in this body of Christ? So, one objection, which you'll find maybe in yourself or people in your church, as you sort of pivot to becoming uh, less, uh, sorry, more organised, more uh, having a process or a, or a pathway of recruiting and onboarding people, people will naturally say, hang on, I want this to be an authentic place. I want us to be a f- family and so sort of jar at the idea of having a process or a plan, right? But I want to suggest that if in the desire for an authentic relationship, a sort of a real church, so to speak, uh, you will unintentionally communicate to people who come to your church, we don't actually need you. We don't actually want you. Now, that's not your intention, but because you don't have a process that's clear and open and accessible, though you may say it, we want you, by your behaviour, by your person, you're actually communicating something different. So I'm a big believer in a clear process that's open, accessible, is actually not only saying it, but showing to people who are joining your church, who are sitting there, we need you. We want you. We want you to be part of this church family. You have been gifted in a way, God has made you in a way that's different to other people, and we are richer in having you part of our church family. So, a good, clear process. I experienced this in a different context uh, a couple of weeks ago where we're trying to get my daughter uh, into a basketball team. There's been a couple of years of COVID, which hasn't been part of a team. We wanted her to join a basketball team. And so my wife, who really (laughs) went on this journey, uh, Googled uh, local basketball teams for eight-year-old girls and found a website, uh, called them up and said, oh, you need to talk to Kate. Details are on the website. Okay, went to the website. Her details weren't there. And so then had to ask again, okay, just wondering, how do I get my daughter into a team? Oh, I'll reach out to this person. And we reach out to this person and said, oh, well, our team is full. Okay, we went back. Okay, is there another team? Okay, this team is full. Maybe try this team over here. We tried it out. They said, well, you can wait for a week, and, but we're just trying to see if we can get some other girls in, and then maybe if they don't accept it, then you can come in. And so then we wait for the week, and then they said, all right, come for an audition. And by the end of this journey, right... It was exhausting, it was tiring, it was frustration, but we met the basketball community, they're lovely people, but going on this stressful, unclear journey, I have a very apprehensive view about the basketball community, right? I know they're lovely people, but they were communicating to me in a complex system that was just talk to this person, that kind of thing. They were communicating to me that they didn't want my daughter to be part of a basketball team. Now, that's not their intention, but because they were unclear, because it was convoluted, because it was confusing, they were communicating to me a bigger message than their website of, we'd love to have kids play basketball, right? So that's sort of just that. Did Scott. you tell her to make it? She made it. Great. She did. Sorry. <laughs> you go home wondering, did she make it? She did. So what I want you to do is this. We're going to have a reflection task uh, uh, for five minutes, right? I want you to imagine I'm coming to your church I'm keen to join your church, right? But I want you to map out, if I was to join your steps, what steps would I take, need to go on, to start serving in your church, right? Let's just 
part of the team. So I want you to, and you might, if you're with your other uh, people from your church, you might want to do this in the group. Uh, but I want you to do five minutes. I think I have a, I've got to use this clicker. Ah, oh, there it is. If someone joined your church, how would they begin to serve? What steps would they take? So I want you to do step one, step two, step three, right? Map them out. You're going to get five or so minutes to do this, and then we're going to come back. Does that make sense? So if I was to join your church, what steps would I need to do? What would I need to fill in? Would I talk to you? How would it go about in actually starting to serve at your church? Right? Does that make sense? Five minutes, go. Hopefully you've taken those steps with step one, step two, step three. What kind of steps are they taking, uh, if at all? Can I just suggest, if you've sort of written down or talked uh, or, or said something along the lines of, well, they should talk to Joe, uh, they should talk to Bill, and then that'll get it started, or maybe contact the pastor, uh, or after they've been for a couple of months, we'd reach out to them. You're, may I humbly suggest, you're still thinking smaller 75 church, you're still thinking that organic kind of family, you do need to pivot more to making it more open accessible because people don't know who Joe is, Bill. You will forget people more and more as your church grows. So if you're still in that space, trying to help you, what's the next step that you can take so that you're not relying on talk to this person uh, when they've been for a certain amount, we'll reach out, okay? We want to, that's, we're trying to move in. So what I want to just suggest is a pathway that we do uh, at the Bridge Church. Uh, we've been doing it for a number of years of recruiting people, and it is focusing on those who are new uh, into this space. Uh, it has borne a lot of fruits. Uh, I'm not going to talk, there's presumably people in your church who are serving, right? Uh, there are new people who are coming. There's also a group of people who've been in your church who aren't serving, uh, I'm not really going to talk about them, but I'm going to suggest something at the end which may help that. But I'm going to show you a process that has borne a lot of fruit and uh, helping you, if you don't already have it, form those steps that people can take so that as people come in, uh, you're communicating, we want you, you're mobilizing them to be part of the um, local church. So here are the steps that, uh, there are four steps. The first one's pretty easy. They're welcomed at a ch at church, right? So they come to church, uh, and they're welcomed. And uh, if you came to the Bridge Church, you would hopefully be welcomed, uh, and uh, good to have you. And if, then you would, after hope, either that Sunday, uh, be contacted, or you would hear about our next step, which is a newcomer course. We call it belonging. And uh, so, step one's pretty. Easy. Step two is really the funnel in which, if you want to be part of our, our church, Bridge Church. This is the first step to take. Now, this is, I know, a bit more membership kind of land, but I want to just uh, just talk about, particularly through the lens of uh, serving, why I think this is an important step. Uh, we've been running Belonging, which we've got a booklet here, and then I put this document, so you can see what we do um, on the app. I put that there um, for you to have a look at. Um, but it does a whole bunch of things. One of them is, is basically puts everything on the table of what we are on about, where we've been, what we believe, and to make an informed decision. Do you want to make this church your church? That's what we're saying to the person who's new. Do you want to make this church your church? And we're putting everything on the table over three weeks. Sometimes we put in an intensive. But what I love about it, it's an intentional moment. Them not just sitting in church, but them making an intentional decision. Hey, 
I'm going to sign up to this course. And it's the beginning of them saying, this is my church. Because I hate the idea that you sort of a member through osmosis. You know, you know, sort of being around here for a bit. I feel like I'm part of this church. I don't know, but I've, so, you know. No, no, no. It's sort of a, there's a helpful moment where they're sort of saying, this church is my church, so you know them as, your, as a pastor, they know each other, and they themselves are saying, yep, this is my church. So this is a newcomer course does that. Um, and in that, it's a teaching moment um, of a couple of things. At the third week, we talk about uh, serving and what does it mean to be part of this church family. Um, I highlight things like, why is it that we serve? Talk to the person next to you. What, why do we serve a church? Uh, I do subtly suggest at the end, if you're thinking, uh, that we serve to, you know, make God happy to get in heaven. Uh, you probably don't understand Christianity, and I encourage you following this to go do our Explore course, right? So you're just clarifying there. Uh, it's a teaching moment where we bring out Ephesians 4, that Christ gave, him, gave the apostles, prophets, to equip his people for works of service. So it's a teaching moment to say, if we as pastors do it all, we have failed in our job. Our job is to equip and empower you to uh, serve others in our church, uh, to almost, as it were, empower you and then get out of your way. You glorify God in uh, serving God in our local church. It's also an opportunity to, rem- to tackle, I guess, the feeder beliefs when it comes to serving. One of them is they come to the church and they're thinking, I don't think there's really, I, I don't think I'm needed. And I say, that's a lie. We need you, right? We need you. Uh, God has gifted you with a particular gift, and we want you to find your part, right? So we're highlighting that. We also highlight, um, and Paul Dow, senior pastor, has very been helpful with this, is saying to particularly Christians who are coming from other churches and maybe just burnt out, right? They're spent. Saying to them, it's okay to come, and you don't have to serve but be served. Sit in the gospel of grace. Come, and that's okay. That's you. That is okay. So it's sort of doing a whole bunch of things in that newcomer course, um, as one lady said, Nina, she said, it took me 10 years to find out why my church did the things they did. But in three weeks, I understand a whole lot more of why the Bridge Church does the things they do. So it's sort of an intense moment to get people on board, particularly in the serve moment. Then we give them this tool, which is a Serve 2020 booklet. Again, that's on the app. And this is basically... Every opportunity to serve at our church in a booklet. So it's sort of like a little brief blurb, a um, bit of time commitments. Uh, and it gives, it demystifies what are the opportunities that they could take. It's in a book that they can read, go away and have a look. Um, again, you can uh, have a, download that. But it's one of those things where you do it once, takes a bit of effort. But once you've created this thing, you're tweaking it every year or so. But it's a resource that you have that is immensely beneficial because it's putting on paper, bringing clarity of what are the opportunities in your church, in the gathering, outside the gathering, that people can have a look at. And so it gives them a a tool to read, and so we give that to them. That's step two. Step three is a serve chat. We call it in in the British Church a post-belonging catch-up or a conversation. Uh, in other parts, they might call it a serve chat. It's, uh, basically, the goal of this is helping people take the next steps. So they've done a course, right? But because we're not just not about course or context, we're about people, a conversation is saying, we want to get to know you. 
where you are at. What's your story? How can we help you take those next steps in finding your place in our church family? Um, and again, I put in the, the app and sort of, sort of the questions that we go through in this conversation. But I'm a big, big believer, talked a bit this, about this yesterday, in that conversation. Because it is looking them in the eye and getting them to take the next steps and, and valuing them as an individual, as a person. Uh, in this chat, we're doing a whole bunch of things, and again, these questions are on the app, but it's basically their story, where have they come from, uh, what was, been a part of a previous church, does their pastor know they've left the other church, uh, and sort of that kind of handover moment. Uh, it's, I, I try to work out, do they get the gospel, uh, what does it mean to be a Christian, uh, what do you love about Jesus, what does he mean to you? So sort of diagnosing, do I need to then orientate them to an explore course after this? Oh, are they? Yep, they get the gospel. Um, so we can continue. And then it's helping them join a Bible study, uh, asking them about giving in terms of, do you have any reservations, questions about money at church? And the, third, or the fifth and great thing, serving. So presumably they would have had read this booklet. And then it's in that conversation saying, hey, is anything that you've served in the past that you might be keen to can do? Maybe something you want to start new? Uh, anything in the serve book that you think that really stands out to me? And so it's then got conversation because, I mean, look, you could do a spiritual gifts questionnaire, uh, questionnaire right, on, online. Oh, I don't find them all that helpful, right? Mainly because they're sort of American and I don't really understand the American language uh, in, in some ways, but it's the, the jargon. But I feel like a conversation is so much better in terms of helping someone begin that process of working out where, what are my gifts? What I, what, how can I start? And so from there, oh, sorry, and can I just say one more thing on that? I find 80% of the time when I'm doing this, and by the way, this conversation in our context is done by a uh, partial team, so ministers, student ministers, interns. Uh, in, in other contexts, they get emotionally intelligent, high-capacity, mature saints, uh, people in the church to do this. In our context, we get partial staff to do it. And, uh, but inevitably, 80% of the time, they will always say, when talking about serving, but what are the needs at church? You know, what, what are the, what, where are the gaps? And there's something natural there where you think, oh, great, well, here it is, you can do this, 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 this. But resist that and reorientate the conversation. Actually, I want to start with a place of what do you think you're gifted in? What do you think you're passionate in? What, what excites you? I mean, this happened the other day. I was talking to Raymond having one of these post-blogging catch-ups. And he was said the same thing. He said, I presume you probably need help in welcoming. Uh, and I said, you know, Raymond, what, what are you interested in? He said, well, I'm really excited about AV. But I presume you don't have needs there. And I was like, well, for a start, we do. But that is where, if you feel like that, then do that because they will last longer in that ministry um, than just filling gaps. Then, fourth step is passing on that information. So they say, actually, I'm interested in kids' ministry. Actually, I'm interested in welcoming ministry. Actually, I'm interested in uh, doing a, a explore ministry. Then it's passing on to that ministry leader. And this is trust, right, where I'm passing this person on to you and that they will begin the process of reaching out to them and onboarding them, working with children's checks if that needs to happen. That's sort of our journey, right? It's four steps. Uh, it has borne a lot of fruit and... To be honest, I don't mind what journey you go on, but I do think a journey that is clear and open and that they can trust that when they're stepping, taking a step forward of, I want this church to be my church, they will go on a journey that they know that people will follow them up and that it's clear and 
they can trust the system in terms of like, I will find my place in this church family. Um, I think I might leave it there, but just a final observation is, as I said, conversations I think are key because it's our theology in action. Um, and so when it comes to recruiting members of your church uh, who are not serving, I do think probably the best way is actually just those conversations. Um, I've noticed you're not serving. Uh, oh, sorry, even this happened the other day. Um, on Sunday, there's a guy who'd been in our church for a while. I was hesitant to ask him because I knew he was busy. But in the conversation, say, hey, um, just want to give you opportunities anyway you want to serve. And he just said, look, I can't do much, but I'm interested in just doing a logistical role on a Sunday. And that was through a conversation. He would never responded to a call out. He would never responded to an email, but to a conversation he does. So I do think conversations are the key. All right. Well, just give me a second to open up. Um, I think um, James has given us some really helpful things to think about how we get people, like recruit people and get them, you know, um, get them involved in serving. What do they want to do? Um, and I'm just going to spend a little bit of time now talking about once they're recruited, once they've expressed an interest in serving somewhere, um, then what do we do? How do we actually get them engaged and involved in that? Um, so at Colonel Light Gardens, where I work, we do that with a teams-based approach to ministry. Um, I think Graham talked a little bit about teams-based ministry um, yesterday. Um, but as a bit of a summary, a teams-based approach to ministry, I think, builds on the often more traditional roster-based system of serving by focusing on getting people to work together, um, to love and care about their ministry, um, and to take ownership of their ministry as a team. And teams-based ministry has a framework for leadership. It involves different roles within teams, where team leaders or leaders of leaders are tasked with encouraging and leading their team. Um, sorry, I've got some slides as well. All right, teams-based ministry, sorry. All right, so you might think, why teams? Um, one of the things I've loved this week um, is being reminded that the outcome of the serve area is not simply to get jobs done at our churches, but it's about seeing every member of our church growing to become fully formed disciples of Christ. And a part of this being formed and a part of this growing is their ability to serve God with their whole lives and to serve each other. So a few years ago, we at Colonel Light Gardens, we moved to this teams-based approach to serving. And we did it after attending a conference on the topic of teams. We were quite captured by the outcome of the serve area. And I think we came away feeling pretty convinced that there was more that we could be doing in this area. There was more that we could do to love people and more that we could do to disciple them through the, the serve others purpose. So just for a little bit of context, up until we decided to make this change, we had a pretty highly centralised way of serving. You could summarise it by saying that we had a pretty good process for getting stuff done and getting roles filled. Each week, our church manager would send out a request to our church members, and when they got it, they would either click yes, which meant they could serve on Sunday, or they would click no, which meant that our church manager would then send a request to someone else. And we used this system for about five years. But by 2018, we'd grown as a church, and the puzzle of putting together the 70-odd people that we needed each Sunday had become both challenging, and I think more importantly, it became really limiting for people and for our ministries. 
And so after this conference and hearing how some other churches had set out to do teams ministry, we decided to implement, implement it ourselves. And we hoped that this, shift, that this would help us shift the focus in ministry in our church from a list of jobs to be done on a Sunday to encouraging and equipping God's people to love and own their ministry and to grow together as they did that. So the way that we did it, I'll give you a brief summary of this because we will talk about it a bit more in a workshop this afternoon called Rosters the Teams. So if I skip over any details, you're welcome to either ask questions or come along to that. Um, it's worth saying at this point that um, this was not a small change for us. We had built a particular culture of serving in our church and it wasn't exactly an unhealthy culture. We had lots and lots of really faithful people who loved God and who wanted to serve and did it graciously and cheerfully. But we did all the thinking for them. We told them when to be there. We told them what to do. We told them how often to come. And so changing that culture that we had created was a very big shift in our church family. And we did pour a significant amount of time and resources into it. And to be honest, very honest actually, it's still a work in progress three years later. Um, I think it's well worth it, but it is a time investment. One of the first things that we did was we started to work out a fairly significant change management process. And the first thing on our list was to think about communication. How are we going to communicate this change to our church family? And I think we opted for the, you know, the change management principle of over-communication rather than under-communicating. Um, so we, we invited every single person in our church to what we called a vision dinner. Um, we got really good food. We tried to make it really nice. We did lighting and tablecloths in the hall. And we said to people, we'd really love you to even think about, you know, getting babysitters and coming along to this. Like, this is going to be a big change in our church. Um, we tried really hard to get everyone there. And I think actually a lot of people came to that thinking, oh, wow, they're going to tell us that we're planting soon or we're doing something, um, you know, like a new church. Um, and we talked about rosters to teams, as we called it. Um, it was, we called it Where To Next, but we told them about teams, um, which I think was okay. It wasn't a bad surprise for them, but not what they were expecting. <laughs> Um, in addition to these dinners, we, all, we also organised um, individual catch-ups with our most sort of on-board key people in our church. We wanted to sit down with each of them and talk to them about what teams would look like, ask them if they had any questions or any ideas to offer, and also ask them to consider what it might look like and whether they were willing to lead one of our teams. We also talked about it as a whole church in emails, we sent out emails um, and we also put together what we called a vision document, um, which we sent out early in the year, which I think from memory was about five or six pages long. We packed quite a lot into it, um, but we addressed that to every household and we sent it off or put it in people's hands to make sure that everyone got this communication. And in this communication, the thing that we tried really hard to do was to tell people the reason why we were making this change. We wanted them to know that it wasn't simply a structural change to the way that we served, but that this was a gospel-driven change. It was how we as a church hoped to help disciple people better in love and service and to build community in a more fuller way 
and to reach out to our community with the good news of the gospel. Um, As I said, I'll leave those details there. Our senior pastor, Matt, will talk about them a bit um, in the workshop and he tells it much better than I do. So I'll leave some things for him. Um, As well as communicating with our church family about this, we also spent a lot of time thinking about how we could support every person who joined one of these new teams to think about what it meant to be a valuable part of that ministry. How could they play a meaningful role in their team? Because this change in the way people approach serving was one of the deep changes that we wanted to make. To see people relating to each other as a team, a team with a common purpose and a team who work together. And so to do that, we focused on five key areas of what it looked like to be a ministry team member. Now, those five areas, I'm going to try and use this thing again. There we go. Thank you. <laughs> Those five areas that we focused on were, we said to people, you, you can serve your team by loving them, communicating with them, growing with them, resourcing them, and understanding your role. So I'll talk a little bit about each of those things um, because this was the culture that we wanted our teams to embrace. This is what they wanted to do. We wanted them to do. So loving your team means get to know your team. Connect with them relationally. Talk about what's been going on in your lives. What are you struggling with? What are you rejoicing in? We thought this was a really great way for people who are new to our church to be able to be welcomed and be in community much quicker than they might have been if they weren't a part of a team. The communicating with your team, we said to people, we'd love you to be talking with your team. Talk to them about your availability to serve. Share ideas with your team about ways that you can help your ministry grow. And talk to each other to work out those problems that arise. There were times when things went wrong or didn't go right in ministries. And it was always staff who were the first point of call for that. People would come straight to us with, you know, oh, this didn't work or this isn't going to go right. And we said to people, we would love you. You guys are the people who are passionate about this ministry. You know it better than we do. We would love you to be talking about those things. Have those conversations with each other. We also said to people, we'd love you to be growing. Growing in your ability to serve. So getting better at doing your role, working out what does it look like? Where would you like to be trained? What could you do better? How could you help someone else do it better? And we said we'd love you to resource your team. So the best way to resource your team is to be there. That's the first thing. So when your team is on, it'd be great if you could be there. But if you can't, then part of your resourcing your team could be that you arrange a swap with someone else from a different team. Ask your team whether they think that would be helpful. And we said to people, staff and leaders, we are here to help you, but we would love you to have a go at doing this first. And then the last one there is understanding. So understanding the purpose of your team. Know what it is that your ministry is trying to do. And ask yourself and your team, are we currently doing that? Are we achieving that outcome? If you're thinking about changes to your ministry, do they add to the purpose of your team? Or do they take away from the purpose of your team? So work out what it is you're trying to do as a ministry area. 
and grow in that understanding. So this is how we wanted people to start thinking. So we created a summary document of these points. Um, it doesn't look quite like that, um, but we gave it to everyone with a bit of an explanation about what those five things were. Um, I have put a copy of the um, document that we made in the app, so if you want to have a look at it, you're welcome to see how we talked about it, how we explained it, and you can adapt it to suit yourself. Um, but we said to everyone, please read this. Read it, take it home, talk about it, put it on the fridge. We'd love it to be in the front of your mind. So these key areas are a big part of us establishing a culture of healthy teams. And where we've seen teams doing these, doing these things and relating in this way, we are seeing people who are joy, joyfully serving and we're seeing ministries growing and changing for the better. But this little document wasn't a one-off thing that we did and then we just thought, oh, that's it, people will get it. We thought, that's not going to work. So once we'd given everyone these key points and we'd put people into teams and most of our teams were up and running, we gathered all our team members from every team. Didn't matter if you were coffee or you were welcoming or you were set up. We invited them to come along to a team member training day. And at this training event, we talked to everyone about this new team culture that we were working towards so that everyone heard it from us and that everyone could be on the same page about it. And once we'd given them a bit of a spiel about what that looked like, we then got them to break into their teams. And the first thing we said to them in their team was introduce yourself. It sounds like that's fairly obvious, but we would, we would have had people in ministries who had been serving in that ministry for you know, a couple of years, but didn't actually know everyone else who served in that ministry because the roster had never made them cross over. So we said to them, get to know each other, introduce yourself, make sure you know who you are. And then once they'd introduced themselves and met each other, we asked them to talk about their specific team. We asked them to talk about what was the purpose of their team. Could they articulate it together? We asked them to talk about how they as a team could be living out those five things, loving, communicating, etc. And we asked them what changes they would like to see in their ministry area to make it better. And not just what changes they wanted, but how they could start to make those changes happen. And this training day, I think, was a super encouraging moment in, our in the life of our church as people grabbed on to the purpose of their ministry and began to work out how their team could work on that ministry and what they could do to make it better and care for each other. Some of the conversations that came from that day was such a joy to be a part of. I remember talking to our creche team probably a few weeks after that meeting and they'd, they'd met in their team and they'd obviously talked a bit more um, as time went on and they came to me and said, Katie, we've got all these ideas about creche, there's all these things that just aren't working. It's not accessible for prams, it's not this, we haven't got that in the cupboard, this doesn't work. And I was like, okay, great, that's fantastic. And then they said, but we've also got some ideas of how to fix it. We're going to get this done and we're going to buy one of these and we're going to do that. Um, is that okay? And I said, yeah, of course it's okay. Like, all those things are really wonderful. Um, so it was great. And then they just went ahead and they did some of those things and they built a ramp to go up to our creche area and they bought some new things for the cupboard. And, um, yeah, so it was a really great moment of just seeing a team that was owning their purpose and actually willing to do th something about it. 
As an ongoing thing, and it's definitely a bit of a work in progress as I talk about this, we are hoping to continue training around this culture. We're slowly putting together some short videos for our people that we're rolling out to them, giving out to them to watch and reflect on. We've been quite blessed to use some of the material from Reach Australia um, to make those. Um, but we are hoping that over time, all of our teams will continue to watch, continue to think and reflect on what it looks like to make a valuable contribution to their team. So that's a bit about what we did. I'm just going to talk quickly for the last few minutes about how that looks for us today. Where do we kind of get to and where are we at? So at the moment, all of our ministry areas serve as part of a team. I don't think we have any ministry areas that aren't part of a team. So that's our kids' ministry all serve as a team. Our coffee, our setup, our what we call our mag teams, but that's basically our Sunday platform type team, so band, prayers, service leader, they all serve as part of one team. It did take us a little while to roll out our teams. We didn't do them all at the same time. We did them over about nine months, I think it took us, to kind of do a few at a time, talk about it, learn from it, do the next ones, learn from them. Um, in theory, all of our teams have a team leader, so there's that structure of having a leader and then team members. Um, that's a bit of a work in progress for us. Um, we, you know, there's a, a natural attrition sometimes to the teams when people leave or move churches or things like that. So there's always, there's always room for that to grow, but um, in theory, every, every, area, every team has a team leader and then a series of team members. Um, and within each of our ministry areas, we have four teams, one for each week of the month. So, for example, our setup teams... They're part of the setup team ministry, but each sub-team then is either week one, week two, week three, or week four of the month. And so teams know exactly when they're rostered on from the beginning of the year. Like they know that if they're team two, they're always on the second week of the month. So they can plan around that and they can organise themselves around that. Um, it's good to say too, we do actually place people into those teams. So at the beginning of each year, we do spend a bit of time looking at a, putting teams into a team schedule. I think it's, um, yeah, we don't just recruit 10 or 12 people to a team and say, okay, here you go, you're the coffee team. You guys go and work out when you're going to serve in the year and, you know, that'll be great. Um, I can see that would end badly. <laughs> so we do still use a schedule or a roster system and we still do put people into those teams. Um, but once they're in them, then they know that they've got a repetition of when they serve and they serve with the same people each week then. Um, our teams are responsible for communicating with each other. We provide a platform for this. Um, we use Slack, but there's lots of other things that you can use as well. And we encourage our teams to find a way to communicate with each other. So that might be Slack that we kind of give them, or they might want to use something different, and that's perfectly fine. Um, but we just, we just say to them, we would love you to find a way that works for all of you to communicate, to share ideas, um, you know, to communicate, to encourage each other. And where there are various roles involved in that ministry, teams work out within themselves who can do that. So they work, so our coffee team, for example, there's a setup person, a pack-up person, um, and we say, you're the coffee team for this week, you guys work out how to love each other. Work out what it looks like. Do you want to do set up because you're a morning person? Do you want to do pack up because you're not so much of a morning person? Um, 
you guys work that out and then there's room in there for variation as well so they can actually get to know what works for each other's families and they can work it out. And we have tried, um, as we set up teams, with varying success at times, to make time and encourage teams to actually get together for meetings. Meetings and catch-ups, I think, are a really key part of people working together and owning their ministry. Whether it's a meeting because there's actually things to be decided or changes to make, or whether it's just a, just to hang out and get to know each other, just spend some time together and pray. Um, we've had some great stories. There was a moment, oh, I think a little while ago now, where we were changing in our church. We were changing where our kids' groups were meeting. So we've got five different kids' groups. And we decided that our, our little minis, who are our little preschool ones, they had to leave the room they were in because our year five, sixes needed it. And we walked around the site thinking, okay, here's some ideas of where they could go. We'll put them here or we could put them here. And I had a meeting with our minis team and I gave them all these ideas. I said, look, I'm really sorry that you have to move, but you, know, you might want to go here or here's an idea or here's another one. And they talked about it for a while and then they looked at me and said, well, Katie, how about we just do this? Which was completely different to what I had, anything I had suggested. And I was like, oh, that is so much better. I'm not sure how I never thought of that. Um, and so that's the decision that they made. They went with that um, and they're kind of tweaking that as they go. But they, they just looked at it and thought, well, this is, this is how we think this will work for us. So we're going to give it a go. Um, another thing that we try to do as a church is to communicate and let people know where the gaps are that we've got in serving. And we do that as part of the, um, the membership slash ministry interview that James talked about. That's our key way of letting people know where our needs are. But we also do try and do it throughout the year as well, just a couple of times here and there, just to encourage people to consider the season of serving they're in and if they would like to make any changes. I think one of the key things to keep communicating in teams is purpose. So helping teams to see and understand their purpose will be the thing that I think gets them to really work together. When they have a purpose that they want to achieve, then they'll make it work themselves. Now, I'm very aware that there is more that I could tell you about that, and I've probably skipped over some very big details. Um, there are stories I could tell about more encouraging moments. There are also lots and lots of things that we've learnt and lots of things that we would do differently. If I've somehow given, given you the impression that we've got it all sorted, well, don't believe me, um, because there's lots that we're still doing, but we think it's a journey that's really worth being on. So hopefully that gives you a bit of a big picture. Um, I'm going to get you now just to spend some time talking to each other. And there's a question there. Um, I'd love for you just to spend a bit of time thinking about a particular ministry area in your church, an area that has people serving, and then think about how that area might grow or benefit if all of those team members felt ownership over it, or if all of those team members were doing the five things that we talked about in terms of caring and loving, communicating with their team. How might that make a difference to that ministry? I'll give you about five minutes and then I'm going to hand to Scott. We're going to, um, going to shift thinking now into developing leaders. But I hope uh, what you're starting to see as we go through that serve other area in a church 125 to 250, you're seeing the value of what you can um, think about when you give someone a little bit of time 
thinking into these things, thinking on the ministry and how we can actually really do a good job of loving people well um, by intentionally thinking about some of our structures and our strategies and our systems under God. Um, it's, uh, it's also the kind of what we've broken this up deliberately into recruiting teams uh, and then developing leaders because we're trying to break down the serve others area. So we've talked about breaking down church um, to a degree into significant purposes that we think individual disciples want to be on about but also the corporate church ought to be on about um, according to God's word. Although you don't have to structure church around that way, there's loads of other ways you can do that. The Pentagon of Power, it's not the only way. Um, but it's a, it's a helpful tool to think through things. And then as you dig into the serve others area, you're seeing how then having someone overseeing that can think about breaking that down further into to pieces to deliberately think about. Uh, and so that's what we're trying to show you anyway. Um, but as I, as I said before, we planted out of Hunter Bible Church as a campus plant. Uh, which meant that we had, uh, when we started five years ago, HPC Lake Mac, it meant that we inherited a whole bunch of uh, conviction and culture and constructs uh, as we came into this campus plant already. Uh, and so a helpful framework to think through leadership development um, that is from a book called Design to Lead, um, I'm going to quote some books and I'm only ever going to remember like one of the author's names. So Kevin Peck and maybe Eric Geiger are the two guys who wrote that. It's through Lifeway. Don't agree with everything theological, theologically in the book, but a helpful book to reflect on leadership within the church. And this framework comes out of that. And we found this really helpful to think through uh, our ecosystem of leader, leadership development. You really need to have these three pieces going in regards to conviction, like what are our theological convictions about building leaders, then out of that, what's the culture, what's the actual behaviour, the shared kind of attitudes that we see in the life of church, and then what are the, what are the constructs or the plans or the strategies that actually feed backwards to, to help facilitate culture, um, but what the picture does also show, we're going to speak mostly about some constructs in a second, um, where, where people want about the Word of God um, and the sovereignty of God and those convictions are central. And then the culture flows out of that and then constructs are helpful but not primary. And so hear me communicate that really clearly. As someone who's not a huge fan personally of constructs and those sexy words of systems and structures, um, I've learned to see their value uh, in submission to God's Word. Uh, and thinking about, or another, that helpful analogy, um, trellis and the vine. Okay, the vine, the people work, the Word of God work, that's really important, but trellises have a place. Trellises um, are helpful to think about uh, in regards to loving the flock and loving God's people. And so, as we planted HBC Lake Max, you were really, I think we, we had this really strong conviction for leadership development. Um, we're really fortunate to have a uni church congregation as part of our wider church which means we've got a lot of people in their, uh, in their 20s that are, get keen about serving Jesus, which means we've got a lot of enthusiastic people and a culture around that congregation where we're really seeking to raise up leaders. But that actually flows through the rest of church, having that, um, that culture coming through. And so we had these theological convictions that while God doesn't need any one of us, you know, little old us, schmucks like me, doesn't need any one of us, 
he still chooses to use his people for the sake of his kingdom and for the sake of his glory. And part of his means within the local church is to have shepherds over the flock and to have leaders. And so you've, we've got those commands like 2 Timothy 2, 2, to entrust the gospel on for generations to come until Jesus returns. And so that strong convictions, I think, was throughout our church. And that's a foundation um, that's really important to have when we're thinking about uh, leadership development within a church. A couple other convictions is that it's worthwhile saying as we go into some constructs. Character is way more important than competency. Just thought I'd say that. Um, but the other helpful thing that Graham mentioned yesterday is we're not just thinking about the convictions in leadership when we want to develop leaders. We want to think about the whole Pentagon of power, the whole ecosystem and how things like being on mission will actually generate zeal to want to take on more responsibility for the sake of the kingdom and actually raise up leaders by working on all those parts um, within the church. So we, we had, this, um, had this convictions translated over, um, which also meant that we had pretty strong culture of leadership development, particularly personally um, with key leaders in church. There was this real personal value on developing leaders and one-to-one mentoring and coaching and all those kind of things. Uh, MTS has been a really strong culture of that, um, partly because of Unichurch, but that's actually impacted. We've wanted to see that grow in our other congregations as well. And so by the time we planted Hunter Bible Church, Lake Mac, I think we trained 50 MTSs over 20 years by that stage, which was great. Um, And we have a few cultural sayings that we try and push around our our team, so things like character over competency or character is king, can you bring someone with you to do that? So just a little reminder here and there, maybe it's a little cutting sometimes, but can you bring someone with you to do that? Come on, keep, keep thinking about leadership development. Uh, can you think about working yourself out of a job? Um, so can you raise people up? Because there's loads more things we can find for you to take responsibility of if you can work yourself out of a job. Next generation now, so constantly thinking not just for our youth uh, and kids as part of that next generation, but then leadership development. And we also talk about wanting to be a church that sends. Um, So if you think about the Reach Australia vision that we're we're all here kind of thinking about this week, to see another 200 churches planted, where are those leaders going to come from? And so we don't want to just think about leadership development for the sake of our little patches, wherever we are, we want to be thinking about leadership development for the sake of the harvest, which is all nations, not just Australia, but it's okay that we think about Australia. Um, but so we, so we had this strong conviction, strong culture, but in terms of constructs when we planted, there wasn't a lot going on there, which actually leads to a bit of frustration because you get, you know, you get people keen and then what do you do with them? And like it gets a bit murky um, if someone's re- like, if someone wanted to give up a day of day a, day a week to serve at church, what do we, what do we actually get them to do? How do we think about that? What do we train them with? And so MTS was clear and strong. That was kind of a strategy or a construct that we had in place. Um, but things were pretty messy within our church. Uh, and so what I'm going to get you to do is a quick exercise now. This is, there's actually a page for this in, your, um, in the app if you want to look at it or you can just draw this out. But I'll talk you through, there's three steps. Step one is just to list out the, some of the ministries across your church. Now you're probably only going to get time to do this for one or two ministries so don't worry about listing them all out. 
but it's helpful to do for your whole church. Um, so list out all your ministries uh, and then brainstorm within that first box or that second row, what are the different roles within that ministry? So try and name them. What are all the different roles within that particular ministry? And if you get time in, the next five, in that five minutes, are there layers within those roles? Like do certain people kind of sit over other people or that kind of thing? Do you have some clear layers within that role? So just have a crack at brainstorming that for five minutes just to get the juices flowing for what we're going to talk about next. Um, and then I'll bring us back in five. All right, bring it back in, everyone. I know that's not enough time to do a good job of that, but um, hopefully that gives you a bit of a tool that you could go away with to think some more about uh, the ministries within uh, your church at the moment. Let me tell you what happened when we did this at our church. I, I, I did it, then presented it to our team. We had 113, this is a larger church, 20 years, 113 different labels for roles going on across our church. Um, and it was a mess. So, and and the, the language we were using uh, just didn't signify anything in terms of, a, it, was, it was really complex in terms of depending on what ministry team you're looking at. So we had trainees who were learning how to welcome in, in kind of in community team. Uh, but then in the kids ministry team, we had trainees who were actually leading kids, but were still for some reason tra- trainees at that point. Uh, we had coordinators. So a co- you could have had a coordinator, someone coordinating baking for morning tea or something like that. And then we had the language of coordinator for someone leading a whole ministry. They're pretty significantly different roles, but still both, they are coordinating. But uh, And then we had helpers for some roles. We had pastors. In some, we had a welcome pastors for a little bit. Uh, leaders in training. I loved our, um, our, our welcome team also had um, SWAT team members. Uh, I can't remember. It was an acronym for something. Has anyone heard that? Does, can, does anyone know the acronym? It's louder, louder. I couldn't hear you. No, you made it up. All right, good on you. <laughs> um, captains was another oh, one. Uh, so anyway, it was a mess though. And what it showed us though is that as we'd grown as a church, we drifted into complexity. And we, our different ministries had actually, not in, um, not in theology, but in, um, in practice, we'd actually divided a little bit or siloed is the kind of, uh, nerd word in organisational thinking. Um, so we so we planted Lake Mac. Noticed that we had a problem when we planted Lake Mac. We kind of had some key people for the the Pentagon of Power um, that we we through we we refer to the M's. So we had them um, overseeing the M's, but then underneath them it was a, it was pretty murky. And then we came across uh, the idea of a leadership pipeline. Um, there's a book on the leadership pipeline. It's a pretty dry read, but if you're if you're a bit of a nerd, you might like it. Um, Ram Sharan, Stephen Drotter, and a third guy I can't remember, um, but they're the main guys. It's it's helpful to think about. It's in a um, business world, so it doesn't translate fully into the life of church. We've got to submit it under the Word of God if we're going to bring that thinking back in. But it brought really helpful thinking. Uh, to how we um, can be a bit more structured and on the same page with leadership development. So I'm going to speak a little bit about that now. 
Um, as Christians, so we rightly hold that for leadership, character is king, and we want to test people's godliness. That's kind of fundamental to, to moving someone into leadership. But when it, when it comes to competencies or skills or gifts of leaders, we can tend to think of leadership development more like a pathway, like a flat kind of thing, than a pipeline. Uh, so we tend to think about moving people to the right in discipleship and godliness, and that is good and important and significant and primary. Um, but say, say we've got a welcoming team at church, and for whatever reason we had someone leading the welcoming team but now they've moved on or they've moved away or something's had happened, what do we tend to do in that moment? Well, we look at our team members and then we see Sarah. Oh, how good Sarah, right? She's a godly woman. She's by far our best welcomer. She's friendly, organised, creative, and so we go, here's our new team leader. It's definitely got to be Sarah, right? She's ticking all the boxes, or is she? And so then we have a conversation and we tend to throw poor Sarah into the deep end and say, all, be, all the good luck to you, you know, go for it. That's what we tend to do. Um, now, if that's all we've done, we're going to set poor old Sarah up for failure, aren't we? We haven't trained her, we haven't gradually handed over responsibility. But one of the biggest things we've done is assume that what made Sarah a good team member is going to make her a good team leader. And that's the assumption that the leadership pipeline pushes against and helps us think into a bit more. What it does is clarify that it's not only character and ministry-specific skills that we want to be thinking about, but we also want to be thinking about leadership skills. Um, Because a leadership pipeline helps us to see that it's a little bit more nuanced and the particular skills that would make you a good welcomer won't necessarily translate to making you a good team leader over welcomers. And so let me, three kind of insights that the the leadership pipeline brings. Um, What it actually, it clarifies leadership layers that you can have within any organisation, but I think can be helpful to think about in leadership within the church. So leading self or team members. Uh, One thing to say as we look at this, as you move up a leadership pipeline, you're not growing in godliness automatically all right we're not communicating that there are people um, in all of our churches who aren't serving formally in a ministry team who are some of the most godly people we know Um, so let's not assume that as as we do that but leading leading self team members leading others or leading teams team leaders leading leaders we've used the language around reach australia here of area leaders leading ministries ministry leaders and then leading the church, senior leaders. Uh, And you can see there how leading yourself a team member, even to go then to be a team leader, the the chinks in the pathway trying to communicate, there's a new set of skills we've got to think about here and there's a whole shift that I'll talk about in a moment. Now, as you see this, the goal is not to get as many layers within your church. Um, When we started implementing it, I actually think we thought that. And so all of our ministries, you know, with 10 people in them, we're starting to think, well, how do we create these layers? That's not the purpose of this. It's kind of like a Constantina to to thinking about um, as we grow or teams grow, we might implement further layers. But you actually want to keep layers as minimal as possible because the more layers you put in, the more communication, the more kind of complexity comes in. And so for as long as possible, you want to keep it as flat as possible 
Um, but this is where it doesn't translate fully into the life of a church because in an organisation, people are working full-time. And so they can think about how to employ people and train people full-time. We're trying to do that with people who are already working full-time, for the majority of them, and then are giving us, um, or giving Jesus, time on top of their full-time job um, to, to spend. And that means that within a church, often, to break up tasks and roles, which could take 80 hours or something like that, we're going to need more people to do that than in an organisation, which kind of means that our, our um, layers will tend to go deeper more quickly than in an organisation where people can work full-time. But don't see this and go, I've got to get five layers in my ministry team. Don't think that way. Uh, keep it as flat as you can. Now, the second, um, the second uh, helpful concept is that as people, rather than being that path, pathway kind of thinking and moving people to the right... When we take on more responsibility, we're taking on more scope and complexity and there's three key shifts that go on uh, for a leader that they have to navigate if they're going to grow into that role. Uh, assuming godliness, assuming those things that we've tested already. The first one is time, okay? So you no longer spend time to move from a team member to a team leader you no longer spend time doing the ministry. Rather, now you want to be spending time organising, training and equipping others, the team members, to do the ministry. Now, you might be, say you're a team leader over a band, you might still be a team member in the band playing guitar, so you have one hat, but then you might then come out of that and put your team leader hat on. As a team, le team member, you're spending time you know, playing guitar and getting good at guitar and rocking up at time, on time. But as a team leader, you've got to be thinking longer term about your team and how you're developing them, equipping them and discipling them in the context of um, a team culture. Uh, the second shift is skills. Um, so there's a whole new set of skills that you've got to navigate and grow in at each layer. Um, so bringing, for a team leader, bringing new people onto a team, fostering relationships becomes a whole new set of skills that you may not have had strongly before. Uh, envisioning people now and encouraging them how their, their service is in the cause of the gospel and making disciples and bringing glory to Jesus, giving clarity to their roles and helping them understand that, empowering others, envisioning others, uh, making decisions about um, middies and where we're going to go and things like that and taking responsibility and thinking creatively. They're kind of navigating that for a team. So there's a whole new set of skills there. The third shift is value. And this is kind of the most crucial one. It's the heart change. Um, and this is the one I think we wrestle with personally as leaders in ministry. I love evangelism. I really, if you could, I just, I love uh, sitting down and sharing the gospel with people who don't know Jesus. On Thursday after the conference, I'm taking a mate to the Life Series and I think he's, God's softening his heart and I'm so stoked he's come to the Life Series and he's my friend because I have to go and do help do the evangelism and that kind of thing. I love that kind of stuff. But as leaders who are seeking to equip people for works of service... You've got to go through that heart change to be more effective for the sake of the kingdom. Can I multiply other people in that as well? Can I equip them for that? 
Can I work through others? And when you're passionate, it doesn't mean you're giving up. I don't think God calls any one of us to give up on evangelism, by the way. I think we have to model the way on that. Um, But it does mean we can't necessarily spend all our time doing that if we're shepherds of God's flock or team leaders seeking to equip others. It's that heart change of I can't just be on the coalface doing it all because sometimes that's pride and selfishness driving that as well. I've got to move through and humbly think about can I equip others for this as well. And that's a real gear change for people to grasp. Because if I keep coming in and doing the ministry that I've recruited you to do, then I'm actually not equipping you and I'm saying you're not needed (laughs) or you're not part of the body of Christ. So that's value. So Sarah Wright, she's still going to want to, in the welcome team, she still wants to value welcoming and the goal of seeing people loved as they come into church. But she's now wanting others to step into that as a team leader. And so her time moves from welcoming to organising and leading the team for them to welcome well. She might still jump in at points. But this helps us think about intentionally identifying and building leaders and particularly some of the skills that are required for that and some of the the heart movements that people have to go through to take on more responsibility. It helps us to refine what we're equipping them in and how to equip them through that shifts. Um, And it not only helps... Like we found it was helping our staff lift out of things or our keep, but it also our ministry leaders that we'd kind of placed over the M's. It was starting to help them work on the ministry more and not just in it. So that's the second key thing. The third key thing um, is the idea that then as you start to, you probably started to think about this a little bit as I was talking, but a team leader in welcoming is going to have some crossover of skills with a team leader in music or a team leader in, in um, kids. Now, what we tend to do in church is we, have all, like, we might have all right discipleship training, but then what we were finding is a lot of our time was spent on the ministry-specific training. So the kids' team would get together and think about how they love kids and do them really good. Then the small groups would get together and think about how they do small groups really well. But there was actually this common piece across all of our ministries of leadership skills and training. Now, there's another book, um, and I, Dave Ulrich is the only guy I can... Oh, and Sweetman, maybe? Um, leadership Code is the book. That's where they propose a figure for this, which you may have heard before, that 70% of leadership skills is common across whatever organisation you're a part of. Again, this is a secular um, book. is common and then 30% is specific to whatever your organisation is. Um, Now, I think it's a little bit more nuanced than that in regards to the fact that if you're a team leader in a band, um, I think it's probably less than 70-30. Yes, you're starting to grow in leadership skills, but you still need a significant amount of ministry skills being that close contact to a team Uh, ministry-specific skills, being that close contact. But as you start to, if you do have more layers within your team, as you start to move up those layers, the ministry-specific skills become less important and the leadership skills become more important alongside the most important thing, godliness, um, that we're continuing to grow in that. And so the pin-up boy um, example that we have in our church of this is um, Sam Hilton, who was our mission pastor. Um, And we started playing with this and we're like, you know what? 
let's have a crack. Let's see if this is true. And so we made him, he was on holidays at the time and I put his name, I put his name forward to um, take over magnification music and he sucks at singing and he can't play an instrument. He's hopeless and so am I, so that's all right. Um, but they, the, when he joined the mag team, they actually got him up the front and tried to get him to play a cajon and he was like, just no rhythm whatsoever. Um, but he's, he's a fantastic, uh, godly guy who does a great job of building teams. And so when he moved across to the mag team, he actually has done a fantastic job of growing that team um, with no magnification skills. Now, he's got people within the team with those skills who can complement him, and this is the body of Christ working together and how we think about leadership development in the ecosystem. Um, now, those common competencies, reached, some pe- churches from Reach Australia got together to think about, um, there's books as well, like the Leadership Challenge, the Leadership Code talks about some of these common uh, competencies. But we kind of said, okay, there's discipleship, that's, got a, that's just a core thing for all leaders to have, that's growing in godliness, that's thinking about shepherding, teaching God's word. Um, and then this is simple... It's too, it's oversimplified in some ways. It's always more nuanced than this, but generally, um, leaders need to grow in vision, strategy, teamwork, people development, and stewardship. Um, and we can talk more about that. Um, so they're the common competencies. So for us, Senate Hunter Bible Church, Lake Mac, and across HPC, we saw this clarity start to come in as we clearly implemented leadership layers across church. And I had to become like the word Nazi kind of police. Like we've picked common layers across church. You weren't allowed to use coordinator for here and here and here. Get rid of coordinator, throw it in the bin. Please stop using coordinator. No, you're not allowed to use coordinator anymore. Here's the, it's literally been like that, but that's been all right. It's grown my patience and perseverance. So praise God for that. Um, And so initially what we also found is with around 80 members, we kind of at that start we for most of our ministries now not all some ministries will have more layers than others depends on the size of the ministry so but you're wanting clarity about the layers across the ministry um, some of our ministries moved to having three layers in them when we planted around the start of Lake Mac senior leaders team leaders team members and then as we grew around 125 um, apparently the growth barrier thing didn't go on this morning but that's a common growth barrier there was a few sociological reasons that that was a growth barrier for us but part of it was that we needed to move some of our teams to four layers Um, and some like the serve others team actually stayed at two layers throughout all this and still three layers now Um, but we moved some of our teams to four layers. So we went senior leader, ministry department leader, team leaders and team, team members. Now that's how we did things. Our churches will do things differently here. The point is clarity about what you're doing, um, not comparison. Clarity within your church, not necessarily comparison. Um, and that helped confirm some people, um, you know, as we started to implement this, oh, okay... Maybe they're not, they're godly, but maybe they're not actually suited for this role. They're actually better to keep at the coalface. Or they just, they're, they're just that evangelist who can't work through <laughs> not wanting to be on the coalface. You know what? That's okay. Let's free them up to go nuts in evangelism. It brings that clarity to then how we're seeking to pass the flock. Now, I just want to finish very briefly 
um, talking about that leadership um, development ecosystem, and then we, got, we want to spend some good time in Q&A. Um, let me give you six key things in terms of leadership development ecosystem very quickly um, that helps us kind of systems that helps us keep leadership development on the agenda. Um, so the first one is we want to keep planning for growth as a church. Now why? Because theologically we believe we are now in the day of salvation. This is the age of the resurrection and God is growing his kingdom. He may choose to bless us, he may choose not to, but we're going to plan for growth um, to think so that if God does bless people um, coming into the kingdom, people seeing people saved, we're ready to love them. Um, and so I've put in, a, in your apps another tool that we use, which is um, just this kind of... Oh, so, so this is how we think about it. We sat down and did this in May. So with our key leaders, Hunter Bible Church, Lake Mac, we're currently 192. We're, it's an arbitrary figure, but if God grows us by 10%, we'll be 212 by the end of 22. And by the end of 23, uh, another 10% would be 233. Now, God may not answer that answer what like he may not do that um, and we'd love for more growth than that um, to see more people become Christians but that's a rough figure that we're just using in pencil um, to work with and so then we go okay for our ministries then depending on the layers we have what do we have now what are our needs going to be and so what plans do we need to make in light of that growth coming um, and so for example in small groups We've currently got 16 small group leaders at Lake Mac. We probably need two more this year for growth this year, if that happens. Um, and to think about growth for 23, we probably need to start the year with 20 next year. Um, so that's four that we've got to find. And then what we find is, because we're monitoring this, about you know 75% stay within the team and 25% will leave the team at the end of the year. Um, and so we need, that's 12 of our current leaders will continue with a need for 20 next year. So that means we know to be planned for that growth, we need to train up at least eight small group leaders this year and get them ready for next year. Um, but we'll, we'll do 10 just in case. <laughs> Um, so that's kind of the thinking that we do. Small groups is the easiest one to do, do it with because it tends to be linear. Um, but it's not the same for a music team because you tend to not need as much growth. They're more based around how many services a church might have. Um, and we can talk more about that. So that's number one. The system for identifying leaders that we have. And we often talk about calendarising leadership development personally. Um, so I need to make time in the calendar to do that kind of one-to-one -one stuff. Uh, we also think about calendarising leadership development as a corporate kind of church. Um, and so we have an annual church rhythm. I've put a serve calendar in your notes to have a look at for how you can actually think about the rhythm of a, a simple one for serve across the year. But in terms of leadership identification, uh, we do a key leaders gathering in March where we gather people that's a cultural thing and a conviction thing of trying to encourage them, spur them on, let them into the life of church, some big things that we've got going on to help them lead change in our church. Um, in May, with our key leaders, we do growth planning, so some of the stuff we talked about, and then we get them to personally 
So there's a tension of the sausage factory that we're talking about a little bit in terms of the constructs. But then what we're wanting to do alongside that is to get them to personally identify some key people that they're going to invest in um, and do that one-to-one -one kind of training and development and coaching as well. Um, and so then out of that, in July or August, we sit down and think about the following year, about the needs we're going to have in leadership and we have a discussion about who's been encouraging us um, and who we think could actually take on more responsibility, who we've seen have the godliness and the competencies. Um, we have a serve Sunday in September and then we do intentional recommitments with everyone in our, all our ministry teams, including leadership placements for the year ahead. Um, now, that, that's probably more a larger church rhythm um, than just for Lake Max. So that's something we do as a wider HPC. But the point of this all is to say you will have different contexts where you can put leadership identification in your calendar or leadership training in your calendar and you want to be intentional about that and think about the rhythms of your year in your context for how you can actually put that on the, on the agenda. I hope that sparked a lot of thinking and ideas. My team certainly had a lot to think about. Now, if you want help in how to move your church forward in mobilizing people for the mission, we would love to have you in the Reach Australia Development Program. You can find out more at reachaustralia.com.au.